When we come today to uh, the time I have, I want to use that to tell you a bit of my story. We all have a story, and uh, we all should tell it. And my story starts in a suburb of Toronto. My dad and mother were there. I was born there. I was raised there. And uh, I'm the eldest of three children. And the second child that was born to my mom was a girl named Janet. She lived for 14 days. She had a congenital kidney problem, and she never got home from the hospital, but she got home to heaven um, after two weeks. As you can imagine, that really uh, made my parents' heart tender toward the Lord, and I was in a nursery school that was run by a fine born-again sister in Christ, although my parents were not saved. They thought they were saved, but they were not yet saved. They were part of a, a liberal church in Toronto that didn't preach the gospel. And so Mrs. Clements, my teacher, when she learned of my sister's passing, had a hot casserole meal on the doorstep of our home that night. Mrs. Clements worked two jobs. Her husband had died in an automobile accident, leaving her five children to raise under 16 years old. She had two jobs. One was this nursery school. My parents knew that, and yet in her love and generosity, She provided a hot meal the night she learned of Janet going to heaven. Fast forward a little bit. Um, My mother really respected Mrs. Clements, and Mrs. Clements asked my mother to assist her in a child evangelism fellowship, uh, Good News Club for children. And there in that club, I heard the gospel and memorized uh, gospel Bible verses, and my mother heard the gospel and memorized gospel uh, Bible verses. And God stirred in her heart eventually, and she trusted Christ to be your savior. She told my dad, of course, right away that this had happened. Dad said, well, that's nice for you, Mary. Um, That's fine. I'm happy for you, but I don't need that. Um, So my mother prayed and lived Christ before my father for about a year before he trusted Jesus to be his savior. I trusted Christ in one of those child evangelism backyard Bible clubs when I was just four and a half. And I'm far from a genius, but I understood at four and a half, sin, the love of the cross, and the Savior on the cross, and that Jesus would make me clean and let me go to heaven someday with him if I would trust only Jesus, which I did as a child, as a child would understand. And uh, that was a wonderful time I look back to, of course, with great gratitude to God in saving me. My dad took our family out of the liberal church when he interviewed the pastor and asked him if he believed in the resurrection. And the pastor said, no, not literally. So my dad said, I need to find a church that literally believes in the resurrection. So he took our family out of that liberal church into a a fine Baptist church that uh, taught us the word of God. We had great friendships in the church. It was wonderful. And then... Our family backslid when I was about 13 and entering junior high, and they stopped going to that Baptist church and started to develop a a summer property outside of Toronto, and we went there every weekend, and at first we started to go to church there, and then eventually that petered out, and we didn't go to church either where the summer home was or where the permanent home was in the city. We just stopped going to church. When I was um, in the seventh grade, I met my best friend, David Christie. David uh, did not know Jesus as Savior. He knew it, and I knew it. Um, I shared Christ with him and invited him to trust Christ in the seventh grade, and he said, I'll wait wait and see. I'll wait and see. So 
he watched me and I watched him from grade 7 through to the 11th grade. And in the 11th grade, we went to Hawaii as uh, people who paid their own way over March break. And we all enjoyed it. And we all said, boy, we're going to go back to Hawaii. We all said it, but JD, or not JD, um, David meant it. And so the end of middle of grade 12, before he wrote his uh, fifth form or grade 13 exams for university, David was brilliant. He said, come with me one Friday. Went around to all his teachers and said goodbye. And they said, see you on Monday. He said, no, you won't see me again. I'm dropping out of school, but my average is so high that I'll get into any university I want. That was David. So he did that. He dropped out of school. Don't recommend it, young people. And he went to Hawaii. Problem was, he went alone. And the problem was, he went to one of the outer islands. And the problem was, they didn't post any warnings about riptides. And so David drowned. Whatever you are, 18 years old, he was a lifeguard, strong swimmer, but he drowned. That shocked my world because, so far as I know, he never trusted Jesus to be his Savior because once he told me before he died, he said, you know, I've been watching your life for four years and it doesn't make much difference in your life, so why should I do anything with Jesus? Imagine sitting in the front pew of his funeral at my church with my pastor doing the funeral, pallbearers all over there, me right here, weeping. I was weeping for more than my best friend dying. I was weeping for that. But I was weeping more for how I had squandered my opportunity to live for Jesus Christ in front of David. And when it came down to it, he knew that. And he wasn't interested in my Jesus. For anyone who's living a compromised life, assuming you'll get three score and ten, you might not. So live for Christ. What happened next in my life was uh, I went to the University of Toronto, and I had made a prayer to Jesus in the front pew of my friend's funeral service that I would uh, stop living for myself and I would want to live for Christ. And uh, I went to the University of Toronto in business administration, and the first Christmas of that time, there was a party with my high school friends back from their various universities, and we were just uh, catching up with each other. And one of my friends, whose name was J.D., uh, he dropped out of his first year because of mononucleosis. And at that Christmas party, he was sick. He couldn't study anymore until he got well. And he said to me, do you know God's will for your life? It's one of the best questions anybody ever asked me. I said, not really. He said, how well do you know God's word? Embarrassed, I said, not that well. And then here's the question. He looked me in the eye and he said, do you think you can understand God's will for your life if you don't know his word? Bam! That was a bam. I said, I don't suppose. He said, I'll challenge you to go to Word of Life Bible Institute after you finish at the University of Toronto, screw in Lake New York, and find out what God's will is for you by knowing his word. So that's what I did. I went to, Dal- or to um, Word of Life, and uh, the strength of Word of Life to this day is its emphasis on the Bible and the quality of Bible teachers it brings in on a week or two-week basis. At that point, I was feeling called of God to, uh, to be a pastor teacher, although that was a wrestle, believe me. I wrestled with God on that. I didn't want to be a pastor. I didn't want to be a Bible teacher. 
I wanted to go in my family's funeral business. I wanted to make money. So God wrestled with me over Romans 12, 1 and 2, and I'm so glad that he won. And after a great struggle at Word of Life Bible Institute, I came to understand what Romans 12, 1 and 2 means and what it doesn't mean. I urge you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. Okay, that's clear. God wants me to present my body. He wants you to present your bodies as living sacrifices. It's only reasonable in the size and scope of salvation he's given us in Christ. But here's where I was mixed up. In verse 2, And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. This is the part that I had wrong. That you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. So here was my thought that wasn't right, wasn't biblical. My thought was, show me your will for my life, and if I like it, if I deem it to be good, acceptable, and perfect, then I'll do it. And that's not how it is. I was treating the will of God and the revelation of the will of God like an eBay purchase long before eBay. You purchase a thing, you get it, you don't like it for any reason, no questions asked, you can return it, get your money back. That is not how the knowledge of God's will for each of you, and it's unique, is to be understood. And so eventually I figured out with the Spirit of God's help that what the verse is saying is present your body a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. But do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Boom. When you present your body to God as a living sacrifice, when you have your mind transformed by the scriptures, then you will see God's will for your life as it always has been and always will be good, acceptable, and perfect. What a change. What a change. So I remember kneeling by my Word of Life Bible Institute bed, by my dorm supervisor, and he witnesses, I said, Lord, any place, anywhere, anything, anytime. I prayed, Lord, I'm a blank check. You spend me however you wish. And what an adventure it's been since. As I found Bible teachers that I thought were effective at Word of Life, I went and asked them, um, where did you train? And not every one of them, but the vast majority trained at Dallas Seminary. I never heard of Dallas Seminary. I never heard of Dallas Seminary in Canada growing up. I never heard of it. So I started paying attention. I started listening. And eventually I applied uh, to Dallas Seminary and to Talbot Theological Seminary in Los Angeles. And I was accepted at both. So then I have a decision, right? And remember, I prayed about it a lot. But one morning with the Lord, I prayed, Lord, if I am ever going to get married, I'm going to meet the wife you have for me either in Los Angeles or Dallas, and they're very far apart. Would you show me where to go? Well, the Lord made it clear to me in his own ways that I should go to Dallas Seminary. We had a faculty welcome chapel. Uh, all the faculty of the seminary were there, and all the incoming students, about 250 students first year. There were three students identified ahead of this time, ahead of their being on campus for the first time, to give their testimonies. And short testimonies. There were uh, two men and Beth. And their stories were all very edifying. But Beth talked about coming to 
Dallas, knowing she was to train in theology to teach the Bible to women and children, not to men. She knew that. And uh, she came to seminary with no money. <laughs> she came to seminary with a place to live. Someone had hired her over the phone after, after personally face-to-face -face interviewing over 40 applicants for a governess job, a nanny job, live-in nanny job. The, the, the boss, the female boss, hired Beth over the phone, sight unseen, after interviewing 40 people. She was telling this in the chapel. So they can, wow. She really knows how to trust God. She's not hard to look at either. I'm just being real. So we began to uh, be a friendship, and we were in three different classes, and we went to the classes together. I, we sat with each other, got to get, get to know each other. Uh, I asked her for our first date in October, and uh, shortly after I spent time with her on that date, I believed that, that um, she was one of the most godly persons I'd ever met, and I had this gnawing doubt as to whether I would be spiritually mature enough to be her boyfriend and to lead her spiritually. God gave me some liberty to go forward with becoming her boyfriend. We went out, but eventually I asked Beth to marry me on Valentine's Day after entering the seminary and meeting her in September. So that was pretty fast. We got engaged in a dry cleaner by my design. Uh, I was hiding in the laundry hamper and cooked up a way for, that she had to go to this dry cleaner to get her boss's shirts, and she did. And I popped out of the laundry hamper and said, what do you say, honey? And uh, we embraced, yes, <laughs> hallelujah. <laughs> uh, yeah, so uh, I was on television. Uh, the dry cleaner was running for city council in Dallas, so he phoned all the television stations and said, there's a crazy Canuck going to propose to his girlfriend in my dry cleaning shop on Valentine's Day, maybe you want to come out and film it. Well, both stations did, and there's more to say about that, but uh, suffice to say that much. Um, then, after we graduated together, Beth graduated the same time that I did, we went to a church in St. Mary's, Ontario, a little place, 5,000 people, and uh, the Lord was good to us there. The people were very kind and loving, and... Uh, Joanna, our first child, came into our family there. She's now 25 and in Toronto. It was there that I learned uh, through much personal um, struggle and uh, a clinical depression that um, I wasn't on a performance-based acceptance with God, although I pastored like I was. And nobody was pressuring me in that church to be a perfect pastor, but I was pressuring myself to be a perfect pastor. And I burned out, got depressed, whatever you want to call it. God restored me, helped me, uh, brought me back to serve in that church, and we were there for nine years. And then God moved us to another Canadian church, Fair Havens Community Church, and that's when God brought J.D. into our family. I think what I really learned in... Uh, St. Mary's was Christ-based acceptance versus performance-based acceptance. But what I learned in the second church was taught to me by a very seasoned pastor that I came to be the associate pastor for, 
And he was just a, a wonderful Bible teacher, preacher, pastor, but he had a wonderful sense of humor. And I had checked my sense of humor, and some of you are saying, you should have checked it, it's still lousy. But um, I had checked my um, sense of humor because I didn't think pastors were supposed to really you know, make people laugh. And so I was in this little straitjacket in the first ministry, and Pastor Don Jones helped me see, just be who God has made you to be. Don't try to be anybody else. God loves you the way you are as you walk with him. Just be yourself. And so that was liberating, and God allowed us 11 fruitful years of ministry at that church, wonderful believers. Then, uh, after the 11 years, God led us to Milford, Pennsylvania, Milford Bible Church, also a wonderful group of Christian brothers and sisters, big church. Um, and they told me, when they, when they hired me, they said, you know, we went through, I think it was 562 resumes, I think. So I said, what made you interested in hiring me out of all those? They said, well, on your resume, you listed your weaknesses and your strengths and you listed your weaknesses before your strengths. Why did you do that? That was easy. I said, because I have so many weaknesses. And God shows up best in my weaknesses. So that attracted them. That made them interested to know this Canadian pastor. And uh, we served almost seven years in Milford, which was near New York, New York, excuse me, near New York City. Um, I also learned at that church how important friends are for a Christian. And pastors, friends are important for Christians, including pastors. We made some very deep and real friendships there in uh, Pennsylvania that are, are precious to us to this day. Then we had the joy of coming to uh, Calvary Bible Church. And when the search committee was talking to me, one of the things we talked about was, what did I envision God wanted me to do um, next in, in pastoral ministry? And I said, to study the Word of God, to be able to preach it verse by verse, to intercede in prayer, to model personal evangelism so people could look at how I spend time and how I deal with people and be motivated to share their faith. And last, to raise up a new generation of church leaders. Well, that really resonated with the search committee. And I'm loving doing all of that still, all four things here. I think so far what I've learned uh, pastoring with you and uh, in Nassau and in the Commonwealth of the Bahamas is um, I've learned I have a lot to be uh, thankful for. And a lot of what I took for granted in Canada or the United States was something I should have been more grateful for when it was there. Let me give you a silly example. This is silly, okay? Going into a restroom, you don't find usually warm or hot water. That's just different. makes me grateful. And then I needed to learn discernment, and I still do. I need the Holy Spirit to give me discernment. I remember uh, not being here very long, maybe a month or two, and uh, I was walking down uh, West Street, 
Um, and uh, this young man stopped me and asked for um, some help. And I pulled out my wallet and gave him a little something. And Pastor Arnett saw this from a distance. And he, we have a weekly meeting together. And in our weekly meeting, he said, Pastor, um, you've got to be careful that you would open your pocket and take out your wallet. It's probably not a good idea. So I had a lot of things I have to learn about discernment. I still do, you know. There are people, as you know, that have legitimate needs in our country. And if we have the way to help them, let's try to help them. But then there are others who don't tell you the truth. And they are looking for uh, money not for food, but maybe for other things. So God is teaching me discernment. But we love it here. Uh, When people say, what's it like to live in the Bahamas? We say the same thing every time. We say, the weather is great, but the people are better. People are better. I remember the first week or month we were here, and I found the Acropolis Cafe, which is still a favorite on Madeira, Greek food. I went there for one lunch by myself, enjoyed it. So the Friday night, I asked Beth and JD to join me. They had not been there. So we went in around sometime before 4 p.m., and uh, we order our food, and the owner of the, the cafe is on the cash register, and he gives me the total, and I go to pull out my wallet to give him a credit card. He goes, oh, I'm sorry, sir, very sorry, we don't take credit cards. Oh, that's all right. I'll come back again sometimes, like, like this. He goes, where are you going? He said, well, I'll have to come back another time. I don't have cash. He said, eat, 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 eat. Eat. So? We had a lovely dinner. And of course, I'm going to pay this man back as fast as I possibly can, right? So I tape the cash register receipt on the dashboard of our vehicle so I not forget. Monday, you may, you may know George. He's the owner. I go in with this. I say, George, so kind of you to uh, give our family credit to have our meal on Friday night, you know, here's the money. He goes, oh, that's too much. (laughs) No, George, it's not too much. Look. (laughs) He said, I said, I'm the new pastor at Calvary Bible Church. I so appreciate your trusting me and helping me and my family have a nice dinner. He said, oh, I do that for anybody. The weather is great, but the people are better. Okay? So, Where do we go with this little story? If you told me when I was kneeling by the bed at the Word of Life Bible Institute with my dorm supervisor saying, any place, anywhere, anytime, anything, I never would have dreamt the adventure that God has brought us on. Pastoring in three countries, four congregations. We're so blessed. Jesus said, I will give you life and give you life more abundantly. So I'd encourage you, if you've never done this, to present your body a living sacrifice to God, holy and acceptable, which is your reasonable service of worship. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. Just like... um, 
the meal at the Acropolis wasn't mine until I started eating it with no money to pay for it. That kind of an abundant life of obedience under the Lordship of Christ is not your joy and portion until you present your body a living sacrifice. If you've done that, God heard you, and he does not have a poor memory. But if you've never done that, this would be a good Sunday, a good moment to do that. Let me pray with you. Heavenly Father, thank you for our God stories. I thank you for your mercy and grace in my life and best life our children's lives. Thank you for the pleasure it is to be in your will, to serve you here in Nassau. We pray, Heavenly Father, for each person bowed before you. You know each one. You love each one. You have a plan for each one's redeemed life. For those, Lord, who have presented their bodies a living sacrifice, thank you. And may they continue to see how you want to spend them for your glory. Lord, for others who have not done so, maybe they are unfamiliar with Romans 12, 1 and 2 until today, or maybe they know what it says but have been reluctant to do it for a variety of reasons. Oh God, we pray that this would be a morning of obedience, of yieldedness, submission, worship, Help those people, Lord, to obey Romans 12, 1 and 2. And then, Lord, help us all to serve you with gladness and faithfulness and faith. And we pray these things in Jesus' precious name together. Amen.